Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. What are you afraid of? Is there anything that you'd be scared of right now? For me, the central verse that's going to stand out today in chapter 4 of Nehemiah as we continue this thrilling account of when the people of Jerusalem, led by Nehemiah, rebuilt its broken walls as their enemies, who'd been taunting and mocking and threatening for a long time, now seemed closer than ever, is what he told them in verse 14. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Their enemies had them surrounded. But I love that song that we sometimes sing that says to God, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. That's what the prophet Elisha's servant found one day when he woke up early one morning and 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 15 says he, he got up and he went out early in the morning to find an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city and overnight this enemy had come under the cover of darkness and all these soldiers but now he could he could see them everywhere actually that was all he could see because of the fear that he feels so he runs to the prophet and he cries out oh no my lord what shall we do he's paralyzed by fear have you ever had one of those mornings just so anxious and it's like oh no what shall we do when fear surrounds you it's all about focus you can't focus on two things at once the servant could only focus on the problem the fear we all have different battles to face but fear is our common foe not just the fear that our media consumption generates to profit the digital economy by keeping our attention on it and in it but Fear of failure, fear of what others will say, fear of rejection, fear that we're not enough or we'll never have enough. That might kick in right now as next week we're invited to pray and act in faith by bringing a generous first fruits offering here at Ivy over and above anything that you might normally give which we use to bless many other ministries and people and to do imaginative, missional or necessary things that we could not have budget, budgeted for in advance. We gave away more to more things than ever last year, I'm told. But we do it really to tell God we love you and we thank you that you are, you're my provider and you've given me everything that I've got. And because I love you and trust you, I'm glad. I want to joyfully give big, knowing I'll never outgive you. But this is a sign that you are first in my life, first in my affections and first in my loyalty. So we do it in faith to say, God, you're first in everything, including my finances at the start of this year. But fear wants to be first. Fear wants to control you and your finances. There's this spiritual force and dynamic at work there. Jesus called that other power, mammon, and it wants to be the master instead of God. Its principal weapon is fear. All the what-ifs that surround you. When you start to think about an extravagant, extraordinary gift. But what if we need it in the summer? What if prices rise higher? What if we lose our jobs? And, and what if, and what if, and we're surrounded by fear. So we don't give. Or we know we could give that, 
We may have thought we heard the Lord even whisper a figure. It's different for you and me, what a faith-sized gift is going to look like, but something that was saying, give that to first fruits. But then you think, oh, but that, that would be a stretch. That'd be a stretch of faith. And fear surrounds us. And so we give this instead. Or we don't even give because we let fear shrink our faith down to something that we think we can handle. So that servant was in a blind panic. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? How fear blinds us to reality, but faith opens our eyes to it. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see, that he'll be able to see the reality that's there all along. When all we can see would keep us in fear, we can pray for the Lord to open our eyes like that. And then he saw the true reality. He got a glimpse of the size and power of God as he looked and he saw the hills were actually full of angelic presence and the horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha were heaven's resources coming to him. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, he found. Psalm 34, 7 says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him to deliver them. That's a different kind of fear, knowing who God is and respecting him for that. Scripture tells us repeatedly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's a hymn we used to sing that says, through all the changing scenes of life in trouble and in joy, the praises of my God shall still my heart and tongue employ. The hosts of God encamp around the dwellings of the just. Deliverance he affords to all who on his succour trust. Fear him, ye saints, and then you will have nothing else to fear. Make you his service your delight. He'll make your wants his care. Let me repeat that last verse again. Fear him, ye saints, and you will then have nothing else to fear. Make you his service your delight. He'll make your wants his care. In other words, when you focus on doing what he wants, he will make sure that you have all you need. Do you believe that? Do we actually believe that? There are all kinds of ways we can test whether we're living in fear or faith, and money's one of the easy ways to test it. Now, remember, this is Nehemiah's journals. It's, it's what he's writing about, what he's facing as he's trying to get the city rebuilt so that worship can be safely restored in the temple. So he, he writes it down. And that's ancient wisdom right there to help us deal with fear. What we can do to help with fear, number one, write out your thoughts. Modern research has shown it to be tremendously powerful. When you've got anxieties, when you've got worries surrounding you, just try writing them down. Write about what worries you. It's a powerful antidote. Studies show people who engage in expressive writing report feeling happier and less negative than they felt before writing. Depressive symptoms, rumination, general anxiety tend to not just drop at the time, but actually for weeks and months after writing about emotional upheavals. Other studies found improvement in overall well-being and improved cognitive functioning just from writing it down. So write down your thoughts. Journal. Living in fear is no life at all. So get a pen and a paper and rather than making a note on that little stress inducer we pretend is a phone, though we hardly ever talk to anybody on it, 
write it down for real. And as you do, talk with the Lord about it. He's surrounding you and even living inside of you, the one who is greater than he that is in the world. Like Nehemiah wrote and prayed all the way through his journals that we get to read here. Write the thoughts and the ideas that come to mind, the goals, dreams, problems and plans. Get clarity on paper and write, what am I grateful for? What could be good about this too? What am I learning from this? God, what are you trying to open my eyes to see that fear has been blinding me to? So I'm trying to just write more like that this year and I don't always manage it every day, but when I do, it really, really helps me. Now, halfway through chapter four, we see the wall was now half built and how often do we give up at half time, halfway there? Now, there's a famous saying you may have heard, quitters never win and winners never quit. Now, I'm not sure I agree, it's actually always good advice because there are some things it's wise to quit. And I don't just mean smoking, there are loads of things that we should quit because we should never have even started. So stop flogging the dead horse, dismount. If it wasn't worth starting or it was never gonna work, quitting can be a win. But it's never a win to quit what God wanted me to do just because I got scared or wasn't serious about it. It's not wise that I quit because I just lost interest or focused on the short-term pain instead of the long-term gain and so I quit when it got too hard. If I quit too many things too often because of so-called reasons like that, always starting a new thing but not finishing that one either or waiting or wanting something easy to come along, nothing great will ever get done. What made the people here want to quit was not just danger surrounding the outside, but the rubbish on the inside too, on the rubbish on the inside of the walls and inside of the city. There was so much rubble everywhere to deal with that when the people of Judah started to focus on that, they said, it's getting too hard for us. We can't finish. All they could see was the rubbish that had been left over from when the city had been destroyed years before. Now this increased the boldness of their enemies, but at the same time sapped their strength. They were already losing the battles in their minds. That's why number two, to deal with fear, we have to capture our thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse five says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. If you don't take your thoughts captive, then you'll be captive to them, to lies and fears. Take captive every thought, the Greek word, Eich maltozitzo there means to control, conquer, bring into submission. A thought comes, it's not yet our belief. We don't have to obey it. We take it captive. We make it submit. Don't believe everything you think. Studies on the brain have found that the optic nerve, the only nerve that goes directly to your brain, sends more impulses from your brain going forward than from your eye going backward. That means your brain is interpreting all the time, telling you what you see. That's why four or five witnesses at the same accident all see the same thing differently. So don't believe everything you think. We naturally feel that if we think something, it must be true and we have to believe it because that voice comes from within us and it sounds like me, but, but just because you think something doesn't make it true. Just because you think, it, think it something doesn't mean that it's correct. Throughout the day, so many different suggestions can come into my mind. That doesn't mean that they're true. The world puts suggestions in our minds that are false all the time. We are bombarded 
with false ideas. And of course, Satan makes suggestions. And if he gets you to believe them, he'll get you and me to sin. Jesus famously rebuked the Apostle Peter for listening to those thoughts rather than believing what God showed him to be true. What did he say? Get behind me. Get out of the way, Satan. That's taking the thought and making it obedient. You don't have to obey every impulse. Make it obedient. Hupakeo means bring into submission, bring under control. Then you are in control of your mind, which is in turn the leader of our actions and our reactions. Romans 12 says we can continually have our minds renewed by God's word. So we know and are able to do his will if we line up our thoughts with his truth. That's why engaging now and listening to this is so important. We have to come together and we worship and we pray and we praise in the spirit. And this is how we win. Win against whom? Jesus calls him the father of lies. Satan lies to you and me about ourselves, about others, about our circumstances. And subtly but constantly, he tempts us to doubt and fear and be suspicious and, and he wants worries to come until we put down our tools, stop building and walk away from what God called us to do. That's why it's so powerful when we're praying the Lord's Prayer every day in our year of rebuilding and we ask the Father, deliver us from evil. Some translations actually say deliver us from the evil one. It's very personal. Verses 13 and 14 here in the message version, it says, Nehemiah writes, So I stationed armed guards at the most vulnerable places of the wall and assigned people by families with their swords, lances and bows. After looking things over, I stood up and spoke to the nobles, officials and everybody else. Don't be afraid of them. Put your minds on the master, great and awesome, and then fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. We have to guard our thoughts, guard your thoughts. What are your most vulnerable places? You must know where they are, the places you've been attacked before where the enemy met little resistance. He knows where they are, so he'll keep coming there, admitting those places to ourselves or confessing them to somebody we love and trust is the best way to start to strengthen them. And from then on, they lived and worked like warriors. Verse 17 says, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and they held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. What a picture. Got a trowel in one hand, a weapon in the other, day and night, carrying on the work at that place, on the lowest point of the wall, where the, the rubbish is high, the protection is down. What or when is that for you? Where or when do you easily lose your temper or you might be tempted to compromise your integrity? The book of Proverbs says, above all else, guard the heart, for from it flow the issues of life. And Jesus said our outward behaviours come from the inner life. So ask him, Lord, please help me set a guard and don't try to fight alone. Guard your thoughts. What are we feeding our minds in what we see and hear and allow in there? In the early days of the computer, they came up with the acronym G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. And it's still true. Put bad data into a computer, bad results. So Nehemiah says, put your mind on the master who is great and awesome and then fight. Paul went on to tell the same people at that church in Corinth in the same letter he said later on, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and God is faithful. 
he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Endure it. Get through it. It's not over yet. Put your mind on the master. He's great and he's awesome. And then fight. Somebody really needs to hear this. Maybe you feel like your strength is giving out. You, you feel surrounded. Those voices are whispering over and over. You can't do it. It's useless. Give up. And the temptation is for you to just go and fight alone, to get isolated. It's all to get you to lay down the shovel or the sword and to stop working on that bit of the wall. He says, give up on that relationship. Give up on the church. Give up on God. Give up on yourself. Listen, it may look like you're surrounded, but you are surrounded by 10,000 angels. You're surrounded by your church family. You're surrounded by people you know, or maybe people you don't know who are praying and interceding for you as the Holy Spirit stirs them up. And Jesus himself is praying for you and you're surrounded by the power and the protection and the love of a heavenly father who says, you matter to me so much, every hair on your head's been counted. That's how much he loves you and how intimately he cares. So don't set your mind on fear or foe or failure. Set your mind on the master. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.